remember when I got the book deal, I thought, am I going to be able to write this thing? Because I can barely, I, I remember at one point asking my husband to pass me a butter knife. And I, for the life of me, I couldn't think of the term butter knife. And I said, the shiny thing, the shiny thing, it, sp- it spreads, it spreads that. And, and I thought, oh my God, I don't know that I can write. Like, what am I going to do? But slowly, my marbles that I lost rolled back into my head. Hi, and welcome to the All Too Well podcast. I'm your host, Erica Huss. I'm a wellness entrepreneur, expert, your wellness whisperer, and I'm here with some tips, some news, some resources to make your journey towards better health just a little more comfortable and a little less cringy. Today, I am very excited to share a conversation that I had with Jancy Dunn. We had the conversation a little while ago, um, but it is still evergreen because menopause will never go away as a topic. And it actually is only gaining momentum as a topic that really does need to be discussed much more freely. So I'm very happy to share this episode, especially given the fact that by the time it airs, uh, yesterday, October 18th, will have been uh, World Menopause Day. And uh, so, you know, just uh, just doing a little timely, little timely business. But Jancy is amazing. She is a New York Times bestselling author of multiple books, uh, including I think nine books. Um, she had an essay collection. She's gotten she's written books called uh, How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids, which was actually published in twelve languages. She writes for the New York Times. She writes for Vogue and Oprah. And her book, Hot and Bothered, is really kind of the book that she wished, she wrote the book that she wished existed when she was going through menopause and had no information, no resources. This was, it continues to be a very taboo topic in the home and even in the doctor's office. But certainly we are continuing to shed light on it and hopefully trending in the right direction. Uh, I've had a couple of very, very fun and interesting conversations with other people in this space, including, if you remember, my episode on Highway to Well uh, earlier this year with Monica Molinar, who is a co-founder of Alloy, which is a menopause telemedicine and uh, information brand that I am a huge, huge, huge supporter of. Such a big fan of what those guys are doing. And uh, also a huge fan of what Jancy is doing because she is just putting the resources right in your hands with her book. Uh, she really is. She's sitting down with with experts and doctors, and it's kind of part science, part anecdotal, her own experience, which obviously is uh, how we all can relate to each other on this topic that absolutely deserves to come out into the light and get out of the shame spiral that is our private conversation with ourselves about what is and isn't happening as we as we age into this next chapter of our lives. So anyway, even if you think that menopause is not a topic that is relevant to you in your ripe younger days of your 20s and 30s, I am here to tell you you're wrong. And the sooner you can learn about this stuff, the better, because uh, yeah, then there will be fewer surprises. So anyway, please enjoy this chat with Jancy Dunn. And as always, thanks for listening. Officially welcome to you, Jancy Dunn, who is the author of so many amazing pieces, actually. <laughs> uh, before we jump into your book, which is Hot and Bothered, What No One Tells You About Menopause, um, I think that you probably are one of the people who has 
among the most shared articles that I come across. Um, I have like a little group chat with some of my girlfriends, group texts, and the article about the middle-aged groan (laughs) (laughs) really struck a nerve with all of us. I want to know if that's That's actually a symptom of menopause or an early indicator. Um, No, for people who haven't read it, can you you just share a little bit about it? Because it's hilarious and so on point. You know what? When we were kicking around ideas, it's so funny how something like the middle-aged grown, you don't even have to explain what that is to a large segment (laughs) of the population. And we thought, wait, is that an actual thing? Are there any studies about it? I interviewed one researcher who said, I'm going to commission a study about this because why isn't there one? But (laughs) everyone knew exactly, you know, what I was talking about. And I still make that noise all the time. And you've seen the videos of toddlers like imitating their middle-aged parents doing that. And it you really can't help it. Now, do you, is it, um, it's not exclusive to women, which I was actually happy to learn. <laughs> yes, yes. Because all it, genders. The conversation yes. with my girlfriend started like way, way, way before we came across your article, which is why it was so funny and like on point. Um, she told me that she heard some interview, maybe you came across this with Sophia Loren. Have you heard this anecdote? Oh, no. Okay, we ha- I'll have to Google it and find it for you. But there's like a clip of an interview with Sophia Loren from a long time ago. Someone asking her like, what is the secret? You know, what is your secret to staying youthful and young? And she's like, it's when you get out of the car, you don't go to, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> but I have done that because sometimes you get sort of stuck. At least I do. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. The Middle-Aged Grown Into Menopause. Um, This book, it is kind of crazy that this is all happening now. I feel quite fortunate in that I'm sort of still in the middle stages of the perimenopause journey. And Mm. all of these resources are just kind of like exploding everywhere around articles that have been written, you know, in the Times. And I have friends that are now involved in some of these incredible telemedicine platforms. And I feel fortunate. You were slightly less fortunate, and women that are five to ten years older than you really kind of got like fucked over on this whole conversation. And I'm sure that was a big motivation for you writing this book. So, what was the what was the actual initial kind of light bulb moment for you? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that even a few years ago when I started getting symptoms, it was a different world. And whenever I feel frustrated, like I I think about how you know we don't have any policies that protect, you know, women in menopause the way that you do for women who are breastfeeding or, you know, something like that. I think, okay, we have in fact made progress. We are in fact moving forward because even a few years ago, I was thinking, oh, should I do a menopause book? And people were not interested. They Mm -hmm. were this go around and there is, there's momentum now, isn't there? I think it's on a couple of different fronts. It's, it's celebrities saying, you know, coming, being very forthcoming about their symptoms. And okay, yes, some of them are selling products, but I don't care. If right. if they're giving someone else permission to talk about it and to normalize this life transition, which is not a disease, then great. So there's that, you know, people like Michelle Obama. And then there's um, the fact that marketers have woken up to women who are in uh, our age group who have a ton of symptoms and not many solutions. So there's money to be made. And I've been getting, you know, I've been writing about like beauty and health for a long time. And I've noticed a real change in the menopause products that are being sent to Mm -hmm. me, you know, back in the day, 
um, when my mom was going through menopause, there was this supplement that she used to take that had a sunset on it. Oh, oh, sunset. <laughs> bye bye. Walk off into the sunset. Oh my god! And so now, grim. you know, they're very luxurious. They're in this like heavy glass, this beautiful packaging. You know, rose gold, and it's it, it's symbolic because it it's meant to be displayed. It's not meant to be hidden away. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's something to that. And then. You know, there was a famous speech about menopause in Fleabag, written by a woman. I think the more women write these sorts of narratives so that it isn't the usual, like, you know, your elderly aunt fanning herself, like, in a sitcom, the better. Yeah. And 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 yes, and us talking about it today, just, you know, from a grassroots perspective, the more we, we talk about it, the more normalized it is. And I, I always tell people, like... Okay, maybe it's not realistic to talk about it at work. Maybe you work with a bunch of 22-year-old guys and they're not going to understand. But you can talk about it. You're like, are you ever going to stop talking? But but you can talk about it with people that with whom you feel safe, ones that you trust. Um I never had a single conversation about menopause with my mother who was yep. living and Same. with whom I chat about every subject under the sun. And I sort of said to her, Hey mom, how was menopause for you? And it, it was the first, this was like just what, two years ago? It was recent. Yeah. What was her response? I mean, was she was she like candid about it? Because my mom literally was like, it wasn't really a thing. And I'm like, there's no way that that's true. 100% not true. That's it. It, okay, it, it, it didn't this... like blink and miss it. Right. No, everybody, I can't tell you how many people say that to me, that they they've been inspired to open up a conversation with their mom. And either their mom has like stuffed it down so much yep. that they don't remember, <laughs> or they're so used to gritting their teeth and just suffering quietly that it's just become their default setting, right? And that even happened with my mother. I said, when did you get symptoms? And she said, oh, I didn't even, I didn't even really talk about it with your father. Let me think. And I said, okay, who was president? Was it Ford? Was it Carter? Who, who was it? You know, what were you doing? How old was I? G- give me a hint. Because- not only did I want to know, and I was curious, but it's good for your medical records to know when exactly mom, you know if she's around went through it, and so finally we sort of pieced it together, and um, and it was kind of amazing. And she was telling me that when she uh, she was working and she worked at a furniture company, and she said that she was the only woman, often in a conference room, and she would start sweating so much that she would drip onto the table, drip 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 so she learned to sit up straight so that she could drip down her body and not have it land with like a plop sound oh my God. on the on the conference table and i thought you know what even though my generation i'm generation x is only beginning to talk about it i i i i'm i'm so happy that we've moved on from my mom's generation of not talking about it at all and i really do feel um hopeful the younger generations they're so upfront and transparent. Yeah. It's just delightful about everything, you know, their bodies and menstruation. And I'm I'm really hopeful that they're not going to put up with this um, stigma at all. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate that our parents, our mothers were done such a disservice with the shame that surrounded this because many of them were given bad advice 
Many of them were given protocols that probably were not appropriate for them in whatever regard, whether it was, you know, they got hormones when they shouldn't have had them or they needed hormones and they didn't get them. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a shame. And yeah, I mean, like I said, my mom has completely just erased the whole experience from her memory, I'm sure, mostly because of the shame factor, right? And I was like, but I remember you telling me some story. I remember it vividly that she, and I was 16, she went to Wimbledon one year. She was so excited. She's a huge tennis fan. She got to go to Wimbledon. And Mm -hmm. it was right before menopause when she was going through the really fun times of just like the unexpected Niagara Falls, you know, bleeding out like an animal. And it happened to her at Wimbledon. And (gasps) you read one of your stories, you told one of your stories in the book about like, bleeding out on the boat and wrapping the towel. She got mm-hmm. that amazing Wimbledon towel and she had to use it to like help her situation at the time. And yeah. And I remember like it burned in my brain. I was like, oh my God, that's awful. And fast forward to like a few years ago when I had similar circumstances for myself. And I was like, yeah, mom, maybe you don't remember, but I definitely do. It was less than, it was more than just like a, not a thing that you're describing. So anyway. So you're in perimenopause right now or you're just beginning? So uh, I mean, I'm 47. Period? I think I'm, uh, yeah, I think I'm uh, squarely in the perimenopause. I personally had my own kind of journey with the only symptom I've not had actually is hot flashes. Um, oh. And I know that like, thank God, knock wood, but I'm sure they're coming. Um, I've had, you know, a lot of the mood stuff and the, the cycle stuff and all of that. And I had to kind of forge my own way. I wanted to ask you actually there, because you mentioned in the book, and I, I want to get into a little bit more kind of how you sequenced it. Um, but I, you mentioned uh, a number of non-hormonal treatments that are available to women um, if they don't want to go the hormone path or if for whatever reason hormones are not relevant for them yet. And for somebody in my situation, like if you are still getting a period, then you don't need estrogen for sure. You might need progesterone. Um, But something that, again, it's just sort of this like accidental knowledge. Um, I was with a girlfriend of mine on one of these like crazy, you know, bleeding weekends where I'm like, I can't go on the boat with you guys today. Sorry. And she's like, why? I'm like, we'll attract sharks. Exactly. Like I can't be away from a bathroom for more than an hour and a half if you really need to know. And she tells me, she's like, oh, I had the uterine ablation. She's like, I haven't had a period since I was in my thirties. And I was like, wait, I'm sorry. What is this thing that you do that I've never heard of before? And fast forward me asking my doctor, I'm like, how come in all of the time that I've been crying and complaining and coming to you saying like, how do I stop bleeding like an animal every month or every 75 days? Because that's how unpredictable it is. Why has this never been made available as an option to me? Mm -hmm. And she didn't even have a good answer. She's like, oh, well, we really only offer it to our patients that definitely aren't having children. I'm like, did you just meet me? I'm definitely not having children, nor have I ever been. But this procedure, which I don't, you didn't mention it. And I was wondering if you came across it or if you, if there was a conversation around it. I I did come across it and so many other procedures and treatments uh, of which women are not aware. I mean, you know, I quoted in the book, there's this study that everyone always quotes because it's so telling that on average, you know, um, OBGYNs get one hour of menopause training. If that, one third of the people in the study didn't get any. And, and it's like elective, right? Uh, yes. It's and optional. And a lot of people, they stick with their OBGYNs that deliver their babies if if they went that route or that they've just, you know, had for a really long time. And sometimes, and this is of course not knocking your OBGYN, but you- Oh no, she deserves the knock. Go uh-huh. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> to, 
to go to someone who does have training. And, you know, I say it in the book, but there's, um, if you go to NAMS, North American Menopause Society, you type in your zip code and you can find a qualified menopause uh, practitioner that is near you. And I mean, easily three quarters of the top notch experts that I interviewed for this book, they are menopause practitioners and you can hire them. You see right. them one or two times. Insurance usually does not pay, but <laughs> of course, uh, of course, but then they kick you back to your primary care physician and they quickly know what to do, know where to refer you to, can go through all the medications that you need or non-medications and mm -hmm. lifestyle changes that you can make. And you've saved yourself a lot of time, a lot of co-pays and a lot of agita. And I remember I interviewed um, Dr. Lubna Paul. She's at Yale Medicine. And I thought, oh, I wonder if she's a menopause practitioner. I looked her up. Indeed, she was. You can't believe she has hundreds of papers, research papers. She's a department chair, I think. And 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 you can't believe, you can't even pronounce half the stuff that she's researched. Mm. That's who's in charge of your menopause care. And so, you know, another thing that a lot of OBGYNs would tell me that I interviewed for this um, book said, make a separate um, appointment with your OBGYN. Don't try to shoehorn it mm -hmm. into a 10-minute conversation during your annual where you're getting a pap smear and everything else because it's a big subject. It can last decades. You you don't leave menopause. You enter it and you stay there. Yeah. So give it the time and attention that it should warrant. Well, first of all, who even knew file under more things that we don't know about? Who knew that there was such thing as a menopause practitioner, right? Like we all assume oh, yeah. our oh. OB or our GYN is like, they're supposed to know everything. They're supposed to have right. all of the answers. All the topics are covered. Mm -hmm. And one would hope that maybe they would be a little bit more forthcoming with some of this information as opposed to making you ask for it. Right. Um, I mean, mine, you know, to her credit, I liked what she was all, I, I went to her initially, I found her because I had like a polyp situation. And so she's not been, I've not had a longstanding relationship with her. Unfortunately, okay. due to, you know, crappy insurance, I've had to change doctors over the years. So I found her specifically for this procedure, this initial polyps procedure. And I liked that she was very kind of like all business and very focused and listened when she was, you know, in the appointment. But to your mm -hmm. point, those appointments were 10 minutes long and it was to talk about a very specific subject that had nothing to do with all of this other stuff. And right. as soon as we got finished with that procedure and I asked her about the ablation and we did that, then, you know, it was like, okay, well, you know, I, I know that that only affects the actual like uterine lining and it doesn't have anything to do with hormones. What about that? Because my moods are pretty fucking crazy. And like, what? And she's like, oh, you don't need hormones yet. And sort of just dismissed me again. And I was like, okay, there is something super broken here. And it's exactly what you're saying. Like, it's just not, it's not built into their work day. Unfortunately, that's our system right now, right? Like a doctor right. is only taking the time that they have to address one topic with you. So once again, it's kind of on us or on, thank God, on, on people like you who are actually putting it out there and resources that we can all use to know that a menopause practitioner expert exists and they are there for you and the resources there and they will carve you have out 75 the time. degrees. It's it's heaven. Heaven. That's yes. Amazing. But you're right. Like the onus is on us. And you know, even when I first started going through perimenopause and I was getting all these symptoms, I did not connect the dots. And I'm a no. health writer. 
I'm a yeah. longtime health writer. Like I should have known better. And I thought, I, I remember I had a, a racing heart. So I ran to the cardiologist. I tend to run to doctors and I'm like you, I, I, I my insurance switched every year. It was a nightmare of, yeah. you know, and, and then I, my skin dried out to the point of almost absurdity. And I went to my dermatologist, what's going on with my skin? Why don't any of my products work? What's happening? And I just didn't, they didn't connect the dots, nor did I. So it took a really long time. And when I skipped my periods, I skipped three months of periods. I thought, oh, I'm pregnant. Like I I had a a toddler at the time. And so I was in, you know, bouncy castle birthday party Mm. world. I wasn't thinking about menopause because again, there's so little information. I didn't perimenopause. It was sort of a hazy term. I remember Gwyneth Paltrow talking about it, but I wasn't really even, I just wasn't clued in at all. And, you know, I I don't think most women, certainly most men don't know that it starts, perimenopause starts in your forties. And that's when, you know, if you have kids, you're running around after kids or you're, you're, caring for your elderly parents, you have a job, you're just not there. And and it's also hard to tease out symptoms of just being in midlife, you know? Right. It's easy to oh, blame I'm tired. on so many other things. Right. Of course I'm tired. You know, that's just, who who thinks beyond that? So I think one of the messages is to be aware of the symptoms. And, you know, there are, allegedly there are 34. Some people say that there are more than that. And just if you can be aware of them, then you can connect the dots and then, you know, go into the next phase of your care instead of scrambling like you were doing and certainly like I did. Yeah. And I mean, for two, same thing for me. I've been in the wellness business for most of my career, almost 20 years at this point. I've interviewed hormone experts. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing. And I want to get to that as well, which is, you know, there are, there's certainly a range of opinions. There is a broad school of thought on this. At the very least, I'm grateful to be able to have the conversation at the forefront. But it, it is interesting that even in, you know, having interviews multiple times with hormone experts and specialists on this topic, it still didn't get me as far. And to be clear, like those conversations were about four or five years ago. And I feel like the landscape has even changed so dramatically, you know, in the last year or so, which is strange. And at first I'm like, well, it's just that I'm paying more attention now because these things are now happening to me. But no, I mean, there are like three huge startups that just kind of came up and about in the last year. You've got this book. There was the article in the the Times yesterday, I'm sure you saw it about like the the workplace menopause, workplace friendly, menopause friendly workplace kind of thing. So interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't how, um, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about this just yet. I mean, I think. Uh, Yeah, I know. It it definitely gives you mixed feelings, doesn't it? it? Yeah. Why? The UK is certainly leading the way on menopause policies. And I think that that's a good thing, but. I feel like we're going to be clumsy about it no matter what. Right. It's it's just, <laughs> at, at least we're having a conversation mm-hmm. about it, right? No, that's but, right. But I, I agree with you with, with hormones. I mean, you know, every expert, I, I am not telling anyone what to do in this book and I am not a doctor. Yeah. I just present the options, but it is worth a conversation. That is my message. Like, you know, there was flaws in that study that scared yes. everyone to death in the early aughts. And, you know, <laughs> some of the women in the study were in their seventies. Some of them right. were smokers. There was a lot of mitigating factors. And so, you know, 
it's generally recognized as safe if you do it within, if you're in good health, if you're within the 10 year window of menopause, you know, so it's worth a conversation and, and, and that's it just to be presented with the options. And then a woman can of course make her own choice. Yeah. And I, I think it's like, I know you've probably been reading, but there's a new medication for hot flashes that is so exciting. Um, is that the Remifarin? It, the, the brand name is Vioza oh, and oh. it's Vesalinatent. Do you know about this one? Mm-hmm. This oh my God. It was just approved by the FDA uh, not long ago. And it is, when I was researching the book, so many experts said, keep an eye on this one. It's going to be a game oh. changer because it's non-hormonal. And, you know- you're so lucky you don't have um, hot flashes. Yeah, don't jinx it. Right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> never mind. And and you know, so many women have hot flashes that I can remember before I got them. And again, like I got all my information from like bad sitcoms, you know, where Claire Huxtable is like fanning herself. And I was thinking, oh, and hot flashes. Golden Girls. I mean- yeah. Oh God, I know. Right. And you're <laughs> hot flashes. You're on a beach. It's it's a little warm, you know, and yeah. you fan yourself, and it's funny, haha. It's it's not. It's like being blasted by. Satan's space heater in my case, and it's much more severe for other women. And and if if you're getting these hot flashes all night long and you're deranged in the day, that's a whole cascade of health problems, yep. chronic sleep loss yep. that can affect your heart, your brain, all, all kinds of functions. And so yeah. um I'm not on the take from from Vioza or anything, but um it is absolutely worth investigating because yeah. Again, if hormones make you leery for whatever reason, it works within um, a week sometimes, definitely four weeks, and it, and it's dramatic. And okay. so if you can then get a handle on your hot flashes and sleep better, yeah. maybe your moods might improve. Maybe your metabolism might get a little better. Like there's so many good things about if if hot flashes are making you insane, getting a handle on that. And so, but again, like, how are people supposed to know? So the onus is on us right now to, to monitor the treatments, to be aware of the symptoms, to get help in as much as you can and to talk about it with other people. And to normalize the conversation. Exactly. It helps so Um, much. Can we talk a little bit more in depth about the study? Because I think that some of the listeners are much more kind of aware than others, but it was, um, you know, you, you spend the, the first kind of big chapter of the book, and then later um, kind of getting into what happened with this whole study. And I know the media played a big role in why, you know, the hormone conversation got such a bad rap based on this very small study or not small study, but based on this single study that was incomplete in many ways. So can you just talk a little bit about what it sort of covered and and why people kind of started to panic? Yeah, they it was called the Women's Health Initiative and they um, abruptly um, pulled the plug on it when it was, I think, a little more than halfway through because there was a link to breast cancer and it just scared women to death. And um, Mary Jane Minkin at Yale Medicine, she said, I wouldn't have liked to be a fish the day that those results were announced because everyone just chucked their their hormones into um, their the toilet, you know, and that was and that. it was specifically estrogen? Um, it was estrogen. It was specifically estrogen, yes, yeah. and not um, progestin, which is a synthetic version of progesterone. So that that also kind of mitigates the effects of estrogen and um, lowers the risk of uh, uterine cancer. So so it scared everyone. But 
What's interesting is there's been um, a reanalysis. Um, there's been several um, reanalyses of this study, and they found the factors that I mentioned before, like all kinds of different factors, like the age of the participants. They were they were some of them were through menopause for decades, and um, what's interesting that I found now is um, the experts that I interview. Next time you interview an expert on hormones, ask them if they're on it because they'll mm-hmm. tell you yes. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Like you're all on it. And who is more aware of the risks, you know, than these people who are deep in the in 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 research, you know? Lauren Stryker at Northwestern, she's um a very famous menopause practitioner. And and she said, Yeah, of course I'm on it. We're all on it. And I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. Like no one is more aware of the risks and for them, the benefits outweigh the risks because they all started taking it within that 10 year period where it's supposed to be a lot safer. Um, they were telling me that millennial patients are not as they, they're only dimly aware of this study. Hmm. And so, um, women are sort of aging out of that fear and they just want millennials just want solutions. They're sick of feeling like crap. And they are willing to explore hormone therapy. So I don't know. I've been looking at seeing if there's any data about younger people who are taking it, but I can't find any yet. But I thought that was interesting if the pendulum was going to swing a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can say myself, I'm on um, vaginal estrogen. One symptom, of course, of perimenopause and menopause is painful sex. The estrogen leaves your body. Estrogen keeps your skin, your tissues supple and moist and flexible. And so when estrogen leaves your body, your, um, you know, the tissues in your vagina can get very irritated, um, very sensitive, very dry and your urethra, it shrinks who knew. So you may, um, have peeing issues and it, it can also hurt to pee. You get more UTIs. There's a whole lot of things. It's so um, fun. It's so I know. fun. <laughs> and I talked to my OBGYN about, um, and this is just my story, but yeah. I said, you know, I, I've been reading vaginal estrogen, topical estrogen is so much safer than systemic hormones. Like, should I? It, for me, and I'm just saying for me, it was a miracle. Sex stopped hurting. I mean, that is such a quality of life issue. Yeah, and for sure. You know, it's been an eye opener to me about how women have been socialized not to consider these major problems as, as quality of life problems that are getting in the way of you living your life and, you know, having to pee all the time and being very paranoid that you're not going to make it to the bathroom in time because of incontinence. That is a quality of life issue. 100%. I interviewed these, all these urologists for the book who would say, oh yeah, I had one patient who um, was a concert pianist. She wasn't able to sit comfortably for 20 years. And I thought she couldn't sit comfortably for tw- like. You can't sit and you're a concert pianist. You can't sit. I had another um, OBGYN who said that a woman would always stand during their appointments because she couldn't sit either. Sitting, if you can't sit, that's a quality of life issue. And because um, vaginal dryness is one of those things that um, often doesn't get better until you get it treated. That Mm. said, um, brain fog, I wrote about this in the book, does in in the majority of cases go away which mm. is such exciting news that imagine you lose a function in your body or brain and it comes back and i remember when i got the book deal i thought am i going to be able to write this thing because i can barely 
I, I remember at one point asking my husband to pass me a butter knife and I, for the life of me, I couldn't think of the term butter knife. Uh-huh. And I said, the shiny thing, the shiny thing, it, sp- it spreads, it spreads that. And, and I thought, oh my God, I don't know that I can write. Like, what am I going to do? But slowly my marbles that I lost rolled back into my head. So that's <laughs> one major exciting um, thing about menopause. There are a couple and I'm, I'm not sugarcoating it, but it really isn't all bad. And, and many doctors told me some people don't get any symptoms. I haven't met any of them, but they yeah. say, you know, truly some of them just sail through menopause. So there's that. I'm calling vague bullshit on that, but, you know, or they just like buried it and forgot or something. Right. Like our mothers. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, what was I going to ask you? Well, so going back to, um, well, the, the theme here, I think when you're saying, you know, people for 20 years, they can't sit. I mean, these are, these are the topics I think that are, you know, sort of widespread across the, the wellness conversation, whether it's about menopause or any other kind of consistent, you know, developing ailment is that women are often, I think we've just been conditioned to get used to feeling bad and don't right. really even elect to try and feel good. Cause we just assume even like with the groaning thing, like, oh, this is just middle age. This is just what happens. And the entire mm-hmm. point here is that it doesn't have to happen that way. And now we have these options and these levers to pull that we absolutely should because you can feel better. And it's the old saying, but like you oftentimes really don't know how bad you were feeling until you start to feel good. And then you're like, holy shit, I can't believe that. Like I just tolerated that for so, so long. It's like coming out of an abusive relationship where you look back and you're like, how did that, how did I allow that for so long? Because it's gradual in some cases, you know, and you just kind of get used to it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think the book is terrific in the way that you, it's, it's, you know, you've got, you deliver on all of the science and the data is all there. And you obviously did exhaustive research and got to interview so many people and I'm sure fascinating conversations. Um, but I love also that, you know, you're so vulnerable in it and really sharing all of like the, you know, crazy, shocking, embarrassing, whatever you, all of the things that happened to you again, in an effort to normalize it, um, you did mention something about how it's oftentimes um, a different experience based on race. Um, and I was curious if you have a little bit more kind of information in that area. There was a, a study um, from Swan, I think it was called, talking mm-hmm. about how Black women um, often experience menopause in a more severe and often earlier way, um, which I found fascinating and upsetting and, you know, all of the things. And I just wondered if there was... Um, more like insight into that? Do we have an understanding as to why that that's the case or, or knowing that that's the case, how can we kind of approach things differently as, you know, culturally? Well, it's interesting because um, there were no national studies featuring uh, anyone but white women until the nineties. The nineties just happened. I mean, it's, it's really shocking and upsetting and yes, um, women of different races, they're just starting to tease it out. The SWAN studies and the study of women across the nation, they're so they're just revolutionary because they've been so inclusive in their data collection. And yes, they found that black women experience hot flashes earlier and for much longer periods, and they're often more severe. Um, they're more prone to depression during the menopause transition transition. 
And um, it's not entirely clear why that is, but um, prolonged and systemic racism has a lot to do with it. How do you how do you tease that out? Some of the subjects um, grew up in the Jim Crow era, you know, so it's it's very hard to isolate what is something that isn't environmental. Mm. Um, that's what um, the people who conducted the studies told me. And so it's a little unclear. And then there's things like, you know, um, women who have been studied in Asia, they have fewer hot flashes. Maybe it might have something to do with a diet rich in soy. It's all kind of early days. So I'm afraid of making too many conclusions mm. about some of those studies. I'm just grateful that um, researchers are recognizing that women of different races are having different experiences yeah. because it is, there's no one experience of menopause is there. There's so many variables. There's, there's your own environment. There's the symptoms that you have. There's the support you may or may not have. Um, right. I could go on. Yeah, no, it's, it's, but it's a, it's a fair point. And again, it's great. You know, you have Michelle Obama out there being super vocal about it, which can only help that, you know, that tide rise a bit more. Right. Um, and so then you go on from the studies to talk a little bit more about the other kind of lifestyle, um, you know, expectations and, and adjustments and things that you can make. Um, which again, it's just, you know, it is that handbook. I didn't coin it. I don't know who said it. Maybe it was you that said it. It's like the, what to expect when you're no longer expecting. <laughs> right. Which uh. doesn't exist. I wish it did, you know, and I wish just in general, I wish we would sort of, even if it's not celebrate this transition, at least market, you know, yeah. how there's like there's wedding showers, there's bat mitzvahs. Like, why can we not mark this transition it's too? It's so and, true. Right. And share knowledge. And maybe you could give someone a gift of like neck cream, which would have helped me, you know, or or like just just acknowledge that it's happening. Because it should be a mitzvah right? of some sort, though. Like, why is I mean, in in there's a lot to celebrate. It does have a branding problem. I will say this word is very it's an ugly word. It's very it triggering. It yep. needs a little bit of a refresh. 100%. Yeah. So I just wish, yeah, but I think, I think again, things are changing. And I thought, gee, maybe if I'll, I'll have some sort of like get together when one of my friends, you know, starts to have perimenopausal symptoms. And then we can all talk about it, share information. It can be funny. You know, we can just... Well, I mean, shouldn't it be like your, your celebration, shouldn't it fall on, because they, they define menopause as being like when you go exactly one year without a period. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. on day 366, you should be able to have your, your celebration, whatever it is. Like, there you go. <laughs> and I didn't realize either until, um, I started, I had an erratic period, but I didn't know that if you say you get your period and if you've been tracking it and you get it in month 11, then you start again from from month one and you have to go a full 12 months yeah that's kind of average brutal. age is 51 right and um that kind of tracked with me but but yeah so yeah there's always that surprise kind of like late breaking <laughs> breakthrough bleed that ruins pants and furniture and all that stuff Ugh. um so yes, yeah, so you talk about sleep, you talk about diet. I was actually curious because I think there's a lot of opinions on this. Um, 
on the sort of dietary interventions that may or may not work. Um, you hear a lot, or I've heard a lot about like seed cycling. I don't know if you've gotten much info on this. Right. Yeah. Um, which is supposed to kind of alleviate some symptoms per se. I don't, I don't know if that's true. I'm more concerned about sleep. And when you yeah, say lifestyle, like I, my, I hammer home this message again and again, sleep is the foundation of health. You know, it really is nutrition, moving and sleep. And if, if you can get your sleep under control, a lot of other things will follow. And so in terms of lifestyle, prioritize your sleep. And that means kicking out your pets. If they're sleeping on your neck, if you have a partner who snores, I sometimes, if, if it's really bad with my husband, I'll say, you have to go in the spare room. I need my sleep blackout shades. I put, um, a spray bottle of, um, this rose spray that I love by my bed. I found that you can really cool off quickly. If you have a hot flash at nighttime, if you spray yourself, I don't know why this isn't a more common practice. I did it last night. I woke up and I was like, Oh God, I'm boiling. I'm roasting. And then all of a sudden it goes down. You can do, um, there's decent research about deep breathing. When you get a hot Mm -hmm. flash, they generally last about three to five minutes. But if you breathe through them, which kind of gives you a sense of control also, mm-hmm. then they can move a little faster. Um, and it's a good time to assess what's going on in your own health, particularly if you've been taking care of other people in any capacity. It really is a time to think, okay, I'm going to enter the next chapter. How am I going to make sure I'm as healthy as can be? And um, yeah, the weight gain, it's about, um, the, it, it it varies what people say, but can be three to five pounds. It does tend to collect in your middle. I had to basically overhaul all my pants and get new ones and donate the old ones. That, that, that stomach was not moving. And, you know, I just sort of thought, okay, well, I've done what I can and I'm going to get new pants. No, it's so new pants. Yeah. I always just say to like, women put so much pressure on themselves and it's just a time to to consider your health rather than, oh, I've got to lose this menopause weight or whatever else. It's just a matter of, I would, I would focus more on your well-being. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, sleep for me has been, that's been my, you know, vision quest for most of my life, let alone the last, you know, yeah, I've always been a terrible sleeper, but I've started paying so much more attention to it now, knowing Mm -hmm. that there are like, it's not just that I'm a light sleeper and easily, you know, awakened, but that it's very like likely to do with hormones that never really went properly addressed, even starting as a teenager, let alone okay. now. Um, yeah. It's improved dramatically. I mean, honestly, I started on progesterone at the beginning of this year and that single-handedly made a more significant change in my sleep than anything else I've tried. And I literally have tried everything. I've done seven episodes on it. I've read all the books. I've tried all the supplements. Some of them work for a little while and then they stop. Some of them never work. Some of them work a little too well. I'm like a no melatonin person. I know you kind of say like the little, a little. I dig it, but everybody's different. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I, I can't in good faith recommend it just because I feel like I know, you know, I, I've heard too many bad things, but they do say like for bouncing back from jet lag, no problem. Or from Mm -hmm. recovering from a night of bad sleep. Yes. Um, but as a regular thing, maybe not the best, but but yeah, I think again, it's it, it it does make such a difference. Like you're saying, I mean, if you're already if you're not sleeping, then 
everything sort of begets everything else. So that also affects your metabolism, which slows things down, which then could possibly contribute to, you know, hanging on to the weight that might not otherwise hang around that much. And sometimes it does. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. But so do you sleep through the night now? Are you able, do you still wake up a lot or? More often than not, like knock on wood, I think I would say five Five nights a week, I get very, very good quality, seven Ooh. to seven and a half. I know, right? Like, nice. Oh, jinxy. Then, you know, the nights that I have some cocktails or whatever, it's like reliable that I will wake up, but I do fall back asleep now, um, which I didn't used to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's if you have any other tips that you want to share on that, <laughs> right? I can tell you. I'm so mine. happy for you, though. That's great. And And again, like, don't you feel like when we have these conversations, you feel like, psychopharmacologists, like everybody has their, their formula that their works cocktail. for them, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm not, I don't do, um, CBD, but all my friends swear by it, you know, and I, I can't in total good faith recommend that just because there's no research and I'm, I'm really into research and because for obvious reasons, you can't research CBD, you know, because right. of state laws and this and that. Um, but on the other hand, I encourage everyone I know to do whatever it takes to rest. Whatever it takes. Yes. Yeah. Well, because the stress of not sleeping oftentimes is going to end up worse than whatever other protocol you're using that might be bad. Yes. Um, So outside of like alcohol, I mean, I will say, you know, that can help you kind of pass out, but that's not quality sleep. And I mean- it, it tastes real good going down, but it does not, it does not feel good. <laughs> like 4 a.m. on the dot, I call it wine somnia because that is literally, it's always exactly at four. Oh, and yeah, anyway, um, but it's, it's, it's really amazing resources. Oh, I wanted to ask you too, if you know about this product, I'm not generally in the business of like plugging products, but we did an, an interview a while ago um, with this amazing product. And you do mention some of like the, you know, the Kegels and the exercises, but are you familiar with the Kegel bell? No, it's a wonderful device. This woman uh, created it, invented it, uh, I think actually in her perimenopausal or menopausal years. And Mm. it's literally like, it's kind of um, the concept of like vaginal weights, but it's a little cuter and more sort of like, I don't know, it's sort of like, um, it's, it's, it's a weight. I mean, her tagline is take your vagina to the gym. And it's basically this like little system. They look like tiny little kettlebells. Um, okay. but there's like, a, <laughs> so it's there's like a sort of floor situation kind of, yeah, or? it's like, uh-huh. I mean, you literally like, it's kind of like an inserted thing and the weight stays on the outside. And then there's this kind of silicone bulb that you hold on the inside and you graduate like so you can carry heavier weights around. It's fascinating. It's very exciting. And I'm a big fan of this product. Oh, I love hearing all this stuff. There's always something <laughs> happening, which is yes. so great. I'll I feel like out. you need to connect with her. She's like a trip. And I think that, you know, it, it all comes from the same, from the same origin source of just like, let's get the word out and let's, let's talk about this while we're laughing as opposed to like going and laughing in private and, you know, embarrassment. So I anyway. love the menopause world. Everyone's so helpful. Everyone <laughs> shares tips. It's just been really nice. It's not a world I want to leave. Really? Oh, well, good news is that you're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here forever. For the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you, Jancy, and I'm so excited for people to read this book, Hot and Bothered. Um, it is out now. Is that right? It is indeed. Yes. Okay. And, and thank you so much for having me on. This is just a pleasure. And you know, you see that even even you and I, we're in this world, but we're still eager still to talk so much about to it. learn. I know. Yeah. I know. 
It's great though. That's the whole point, right? Is that we continue these conversations and make them feel comfortable for people. And they are funny, but it's also like, it's serious stuff that people shouldn't be afraid of. So I'm very glad that, you know, you're taking such a, such a kind of well-rounded approach to it all and can't wait to share it with everybody. Thanks again. Thanks, Nancy. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to All Too Well, guys. And as always, I am accepting stars, reviews, all of the above. They don't cost you anything and they mean a lot to me. So if you do have time, head on over to Apple Podcasts and throw me a few stars and, uh, you know, just do a good turn. Thanks. Thanks.